This is the BBC Light Programme. <laughs> so there will now be 30 minutes of, including several and also one or two. And now the voice of... <laughs> that was the world's highest paid idiot, Mr. Seagull. One of the world's leading, also one of the world's biggest. Mr. Gooseman, <laughs> deflate that pneumatic statue of Marilyn Monroe and read the inscription on the head of this pin. Um, the... Goon. You Sandra Bergen, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snur, and Charlie's special guest, Orson Welles. Wake up, America, and stop the experts. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to our show of shows, a podcast about old-time radio. I'm Dan Howland, and I'm joined for the umpteenth time in a row by my pal Tom Higgins. Hi, Tom. Hi, Leo, Dan. Hi, how you doing? Doing good for the umpteenth time. What's the... <laughs> okay, I don't know, that's enough ad-living. Every episode, we choose an old-time radio series, or in this case, a genre of radio. Genre. A genre. And we talk about its history, its performers, its importance and legacy, and we try to figure out how it works. How does it work? How does it? I don't. I this? don't know. Yeah. It's broken. The, our topic today, Tom, it's your topic, so you introduce it. The topic today from the BBC Light Service is British comedy shows of the 1950s and 60s. Now, having read that, I'm just going to say that there are a lot of people into old time radio who miss the British angle of things altogether. And I think there's a lot of people who are into British comedy who don't really know the origins of Britcom. There are know? many Python heads running around college campuses this very day who do not realize Spike Milligan is their grandfather. Exactly. Okay, so, yeah. And Spike mm -hmm. doesn't even know. So, Spike doesn't know. He, wants, he, doesn't. he probably would want a blood test. So this episode, we are going to hit upon what we consider our three classic old-time radio and one's not so old now but it was old um <laughs> that, that'll be explained we, in the fullness yeah. of time minister there you um, go. It, we're gonna hit on three um three old-time radio aspects from the bbc british broadcasting company history and these are these are good diving in points for anybody who wants to get into old british comedy and wants to get a Get an idea of how it worked. So the three general areas we're going to hit, uh, the first one is the goon show. The, the goons, you, you, repercussions all over the place, whether you know it or not. The, the second area we're going to hit is a gentleman named Kenneth Williams, who is a force until himself. He really was an amazing performer um, and a, a sad, sad story but anyway as, as with many comedians they are crying on the inside and with kenneth mm -hmm. williams sometimes on the outside yeah. uh, but he is definitely um, made to be born into the biggest cult yeah. which was his <laughs> claim that he was yes cult, and he was and then we are going to you ask anyone i'm one of the yeah. biggest cults around he used to say that's right yeah. and then we're going to slide into uh, a show that is still running to this day called Just a Minute. And it's 50-odd years old. 50-odd years, same presenter. Which is, I think, 
possibly a world's record. I don't know of anyone who has done hosted a comedy program for 50 years. That's that's insane. And even if it's not the longest, the fact that many of those years he's had to deal with some very class act comedian personality types. He gets yeah. an award just for that. Yeah. There are many yeah. people. He really had well, we'll talk about uh Nicholas Parsons later, but you the first one you wanted to start out with was the Goon Show. So let's go there first. The Goon Show is the first because chronologically it kind of hits right after the war. Um, you got a group of guys coming out of the war looking for something to do. And you're going to hear this as a recurring theme. A lot of these guys had trained for something completely different, engineers or architects. And they come out of the war and they're kind of like, look what we just did. I'm not going to sit in the office. I need to explode. And well, British, you know. I think it's an echo of the Dadaist movement after World War One. It's really similar to that. When the goons, uh, when these guys came out of the British Army, the, the world seemed insane to them. And therefore, they did an insane comedy thing. And it was... And even some, some of them, even during the war, started getting into that. Um, Harry Seacombe and Spike Milligan famously met because... Well, we should, Mil- we should explain. Harry Seacombe... Harry Seacombe is is the guy who plays uh, Nettie Seagoon on the sh- on the Goon Show. Harry Seacombe, known as the uh, Welsh uh, blimp impersonator, right? And and Spike Spike Milligan, the was, famous typo named Mike Spilligan. Yeah, Mike Spilligan, the famous typographical error, um, was the uh, the head writer, I would say, of the Goon Show and the the driving force of it, and he played many many characters on the show. Okay, so go ahead. I, so, I apologize. Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe, they're in the war. At first, they're not together, but. Um, the big incident that gets them together is Milligan, who was a gunner, um, accidentally dropped a large howitzer off a cliff. And when he he looked down the cliff to see if he actually killed anybody, he yells <laughs> down, anybody see a gun? And Harry Seacombe looks up at the stranger going, what color was it? Right. <laughs> there was the first Goon Show skit right there. Yes, exactly. Uh, the third... There was, and I sh- I should mention there was a ton of like explosions and people getting blown up on the goon show and all of this comes from like the horrors of war that Spike Milligan saw just turning it into comedy but people are constantly getting blown up on the goon show or having th- heavy things dropped on them or what anyway. the goon show is as cathartic as it is comic Yes, exactly. So right. once they get out of the war, um, Milligan and 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 Seacombe both kind of are part of the entertainment units, respectively. They do some entertaining stuff. They get out and they meet a fella named Peter Sellers, Whom who later you becomes all may have the, heard of. You, the man without a personality, Peter Sellers. He was doing some performing at the Hackney Empire and other places. And Seacombe, who was a singer by trade, was also performing there. Also and a trumpet player, I think. He blew a lot of wind, yes. Did he? <laughs> With or without instruments. A trumpet or... Yeah, I think it was trumpet. Anyway, go ahead. Um, so they kind of got together and they would meet at a pub called Grafton's Pub. And it is there that they met the kind of... Um, I don't want to say the Billy Preston and I don't want to say the George Martin, but the fourth goon that never shows up, uh, Larry Stevens, who becomes okay. the man who kind of forges them together and we'll see in a little bit 
he becomes very instrumental in the writing of the show. Okay. So they meet at this pub, and the pub owner lets them use the upstairs to kind of work out material and then put on performances. Mm -hmm. So Grafton's Pub, which is still there, is kind of the ground zero for the Goon Shows before it mm -hmm. gets on radio. I don't I don't want to say it's the Cavern Club, but I just said it was the Cavern Club. Got to bring up the Scousers, don't you? Yeah, I got to. I know. Uh, right. So we'll talk about them later because mm -hmm. they are influenced thereof. But yeah. the other person of note that they meet, and we have to know them because, is Michael Benteen. Michael Benteen is the anti-Spike Milligan. Spike yeah. is Spike is kind of energetic and crazy because Spike is crazy and energetic. Michael Benteen is just goofy, silly, goofy, goofy. Yeah, he's yeah, which Spike was, but I think Spike was like a driven driven to create stuff. And I don't know, Benteen just seems driven in the way some comedians are driven to be loved. He he's more shtick oriented. Yeah, very shtick oriented. That's Milligan a good way to put it. And those guys, they're, they're it's coming out of them. They're not forging a shtick. They're just opening their mouth and when when Milligan and Sellers and uh, Seacombe were firing on all cylinders, they're just like they're like three minds combined into one thing. And Benteen never meshed with that weird energy. He was always the, the extra one. Yeah, he was always the odd man out, and he was quite odd, but it was not in a good way. So they they did a bunch of stuff there. They performed as the goons mm -hmm. in Grafton's pub, and then. They tape recorded. Somebody tape recorded the whole thing. It mm -hmm. got to a BBC producer. And the BBC was looking for cool stuff to put on the air, and this stuff came well recommended. Larry Stevens was also working with other radio performers. Mm -hmm. So the Goon Shows got the green light, and on May 1951, um, they they went on. They, they're the mm -hmm. first series of the Goon Show. You know, they started kind of small, but by the end of the second series, I think it was, they were hitting at least 2 million listeners, which for that time was pretty big. Um, the first series- Including, does... as I remember, famously a uh, very young Prince Charles. Prince Charles was a big Blue Bottle fan. In fact, he does an impersonation of Blue Bottle that was actually caught one time. Do you, you know about the story about- uh, about something about uh, giving Spike Milligan honors or something like that, and 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 Prince Charles made some uh, some complimentary thing, said something complimentary about Spike Milligan, and Spike Milligan replied, "Quit groveling" or something like that. Yeah, so yeah, completely irreverent person to the to the end. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so the BBC loved what they heard in the first season, and they got a second season. Um, the format of the show was a little bit different than what it became. Mm -hmm. um, it was way more music heavy. Um, right. And Michael Bankton. The BBC every show, Light Entertainment Division really stressed the musical angle for a long time, and and it it was weird. You know what's what's odd to me is that in many ways the format of the Goon Show is really similar to the format of Fibber McGee and Molly. You get a little bit of narrative, and then you get a musical interlude, and then you get a little bit more narrative, and then you get another musical interlude. It was as if that has to be in there for some reason. So the one thing that a lot of American radio show listeners are taken by, 
when they listen to British shows is there are no commercials. Mm -hmm. So the thing to remember is they did not have to worry about sponsors. They didn't have to worry about getting the sponsor mentioned or the product put in. There was none. They had free reign to do what they want. But like you said, the BBC kind of had the final word. So music mm -hmm. was music. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the big musical acts that kind of stuck around through most of the series, Max Geldre, who was a harmonica player, like, hello, like the harmonica was, he was the Dutch, I think you know, he was Dutch harmonica player. No, no, that you're thinking of Toots Thielman. No, I think Geldre was also Dutch. Was he all, were yeah. there two Dutch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm saying harmonica. That's, that's it's, strange. It's very strange. Um, I didn't, I had no idea. Okay. And and um, so first season goes really well. Second season, you start getting the breakdown of of what later becomes at the end of the second season a big problem. Spike Milligan is working very hard on the show. Spike Milligan is also having quite a life at the same time. Yeah. Spike Milligan has a nervous breakdown. He is just Well, Spike Milligan had first off Spike Milligan had a significant amount of just plain mental health problems. Yeah, he was always, yeah. And then when you pile on top of that the stresses of trying to deal with the BBC, trying to write a show that is of quality that he likes, trying to make sure the sound effects are the way he wants them to be, all that sort of thing. The the pressure was huge. And he was he was carrying the show. I mean, there are episodes without him in it because of his nervous breakdown. And it's a little bit, again, I hate to keep going back to Fibber McGee and Molly. It's like that period of time when Molly wasn't on Fibber McGee and Molly. It you know, wasn't it's, as drastic it's really as weird. That. It wasn't as drastic. They definitely did a good job of covering it up. Uh, Larry Stevens and one of the other fellas, Grafton, who was a big, they, they picked up the writing stuff. And so it wasn't as dramatic a thing as, as when Molly left the show for McGee. But one of the major problems with the show was Michael Benteen. He and Milligan just clashed. It wasn't working out. Benteen left. Bye-bye. That's the last we're going to hear of him. Good. And good riddance to bad rubbish, as my grandma used to say. So... Milligan takes a nice little, uh, nice little sabbatical. Gets rid of a wife, you know. He's 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 doing good. He gets rid of Benteen and a wife, and you know, and he gets a little bit of help. Um, he's pretty much diagnosed as bipolar, mm -hmm. you know, but he's getting ready. For, I mean, he's he works himself up, and he along with Stevens and a couple other folk, they get the writing together, so it's not as hard on him, and they go on with the third season. Um, the BBC staff were just they, – they didn't know what to make of the show. They knew it was doing well. They just didn't know what to make of it. In some ways, that's that's the best of all possible cases if you're creative is just to have something that that your higher-ups don't understand because they don't know how to stop you. Exactly. You know? If they don't know what you're doing, they can't tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah, Because exactly. they have no idea. Yeah. They can't – They you couldn't give the goons notes is what I'm saying. Yeah. And by the third season, we also start getting more things going on that that go for the next 10 seasons, uh, for the next uh, seven seasons. Um, the musical numbers tone down a bit. You get two musical numbers, two full musical numbers per show. Um, you usually get Max Geldrake, and then you get Ray Ellington and his band. Ray Ellington, amazing guy who also 
pitched it and did some of the acting stuff. Yeah. Um, and also it was one of those early 60s singers who sings with a really hilariously incorrect American accent. <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll he'll just hit a word completely wrong and I'll go, what? Oh, that's right. He's doing an American accent. He's not getting it. So. And the musical numbers are a lot of standard hits, so you're getting some rock and roll stuff mixed in with some swing jazz stuff with just some pop tunes. It's Gildred, pretty heavy on the jazz because Milligan was a huge jazz fan. Yeah. So yeah. And Gildred But it's heavy it's heavy swing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the band is really good. And the band also does sound effects. Everyone pitches in for sound effects and big crowd scenes and stuff. Of those tens oh, there's ten seasons in total for the whole thing. Of the 10 seasons, the scripts, they're hit or miss. A lot of them still exist. Used to be in books, used to be in libraries, but now mostly it's on the internet. If you want to find Goon Show scripts, there are several sites where you can find pretty much all of them. Um, and this is, again, fans loving something. Goon Show fans are very adamantly good there's show fans. somebody out there who used to i don't know if he's still doing it but he used to transcribe just a minute episodes which is a which is a crazy effort but okay, he not we'll only talk about we'll just talk about a minute yeah. in a while yeah so um of the 10 seasons the first two are spotty the other seasons not only are very well archived they are so well archived there's a whole bunch of them that got remastered back in the early 2000s from the original master engineering master reels which explains a lot of the difference in quality that i've heard over the years the sound quality is up and down all over the what i've heard of the goon show i mean some of them are crystal clear and sound like they were recorded without a studio audience some of them are well some of them it's, actually it's really weird some of them were there were a couple specials done for the army for that were done Without an audience, there was a famous one at the very end of the of the run um, that was done completely almost as a play, uh, no audience. But you get if you're if you're looking for Goon Shows, and we'll list it in the links in the doobly doo below. Um, a lot of these exist, so you're going to get a good sample of it. Um, so by the third season, the format really locks in. We're talking about thirty minute shows. With um, an opening, which is usually the um, announcer, um, which with there a, were several a announcers. A dig at the so, BBC, usually. Yeah, usually a dig at the BBC, like you know, um, and then um, a little bit of music, and then the the thing. Usually, they would run it in three acts, so it was a tale in three acts, and you had the first act, then you had a musical break, then you had the second act, then a musical break, then you come back for the third act which often ended with just a cliffhanger or no ending. It just, the announcer would come up and say, it's all in the mind, you know, yes, and they're right. done. And that's yeah, it. <laughs> it would just be a confusing non-finale. And that was fine because that's, it was a surreal show. So again, Ray Ellington, Max Goldray, they stay on as the musical numbers. Um, Nettie, um, Ned Seagoon, um, Harry Seacomb, takes the role that... Michael Benteen badly played as the the hero of most of the shows. He plays Nettie Seagoon, and he plays either the hero or the comic butt of every joke of the episode. Well, uh, and mostly both. I mean, uh, because usually the two villains of the piece, Hercules Grip Pipe Thin and Count 
Count Jim Moriarty, right? <laughs> the two of them uh, con him into doing something stupid. And and it always results in them making some kind of massive profit because he's inadvertently robbed the crown jewels or something insane. And this gets to something that we're going to talk about later, but we'll talk or about now. Or he's stolen the pyramids or something. You know, it's always some huge... Or he has to eat a mountain. Yeah, exactly. Or he has to empty a lake by drinking it and then transporting it. Um, so one of the major devices of the goons is total absolute surrealism. Um, there are characters who will walk out of a door, something else will go on, and they'll still be there. There will be doors that open up into a complete different country. I remember one. I remember one gag where uh, there's a car idling, and quick, jump on the running board, and then you hear the car drive off, way off into the distance, and then Eccles says, "Well, it's no good me standing here on this running board." You know, it's just stuff like that all the time, and stuff that you could only really do on radio. You know, it involves not seeing what's going on. Right. A lot of it does. Yet down the road, we're going to get to the telegoons, which is a very interesting way of doing it That's on TV. A, it's a weird thing. Okay, so did we want to run through the other characters? Or? So yeah, so so yeah, the okay. main character is Nettie Seagoon. He's um, Harry Seacum playing. A Welsh narrative. An exaggerated yeah. version of himself. Sort Pretty of much, yeah, including yeah. the singings. Yeah. <laughs> Eccles, who is the affable. The famous Eccles. Yes. Famous Eccles, hello. Um, he's played with Spike Milligan. And he's, so, he's sort of like uh, Goofy in the Disney things. He's sort of like. Uh, he's Goofy, uh, but he's. Mortimer Snurd. Yeah. On, on, yeah, he's, he's just a, an all purpose, good natured idiot. And Milligan, Spike Milligan, who actually does a bunch of drawings of the characters, he does he does some sketches. Eccles is mostly always in like you know a caveman loincloth type of yeah. thing, yeah, with burlap the messy hair, sack, yeah, total, like, yeah. yeah, right. And then there's the little the little boy, Blue Bottle, who calls himself Blue Button. He was port- He was actually um, sculpted. On an actual person, yeah, it, he was based it, on a on a person that they knew, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was some guy who showed up backstage one time in the early days in a Boy Scout uniform. It was a young guy in a Boy Scout uniform, and and they had this idea of Blue Bottle being the young Boy Scout, and and you know just trying to do his best, but always having some ulterior motive, trying to get to the girls' hearts by getting candy and part of blue bottle shtick also is he always reads all of his own stage directions out loud. So, which is, um, <laughs> and that's Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers also does half of the famous Crun and Bannister team up. Henry Crun is the husband of that. I think they're about 300. Years I don't old. think, I don't think they're husband and wife. I think they're just a couple. I don't think they're ever mentioned as being married. But they're a long. They're definitely a long-term couple. Yeah, they're they're a long-term thing, and then Milligan plays Minnie Bannister, who has a high-pitched voice. He would basically make by taking his throat and warbling it like. Um. So yeah, they play the old couple. Um. And like you said before, Milligan and Sellers play Hercules Griptype Thine and Count Jim Moriarty, who are usually, you know. The bad guys in in this in the thing. Well, leave us not forget my other favorite craven 
character who is Major Dennis Bloodnock, played by Peter Sellers, who is um uh he's he's a coward, he's a military man and a coward, he's he's greedy, he's He's just a, a funny, all-purpose bad guy to come in all the time. And every time they introduce him, they will play some sound effect like gurgling pipes and cannons going off. And he's going, oh, 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 I never should have eaten that curry. You know, it's just the the most ridiculous jokes about bowels that you've ever heard in your life. Or Or women. Sometimes he comes in and then there's a woman in the, in the room that needs to get out quickly. And it's usually played by Ray Ellington going, yes, dear. Yeah. My, he has one of my favorite gags. I don't, I don't want us to just do their gags. Yeah, no. But, oh, not, but I think qualified. my favorite line that I, that I still like is, is I think it's uh, Sigun comes in and says, I'm looking for a criminal. And he says, well, find your own. It's taken me years to assemble this lot. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to now listen to a little clip with mm-hmm. some of these characters, most notably Blue Bottle. Inside! Inside! Uh, yes, Captain, Captain, Captain. What is it? How far from Red Button are we? I think we must be within earshot. Why? He just shut up one of my ears. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Blue Butler. So there are about a billion, a billion and a half secondary characters. The announcers got in on it. Everyone, like, you know, people, it was like all hands on deck if they it needed just, you. It didn't just break down the fourth wall. It just smash through the other three every chance it got it and if if you get the chance go on youtube and look up the goon shows um there are always um there are at least five or six early um recordings of the goon show that they actually captured on film and you get to see what they're doing and it's just i you know it's contortionist and acrobatic and they're reading from the script, and Milligan mostly is dropping his script and coming up with stuff to cover. Most of the characters, though, do have a catchphrase. So there are points of references they can fall back to. Um, Blue Bottle always gets blown up, and he always says that they've deaded him. Um, Grip Pipe Thin, always, you silly twisted boy. So let us take a listen to a clip um, that will... Kind of, it kind of sums up a lot of the stereotyping and the funny voices and some of the characters. So here we are, another Goon Show piece for you. I have run out of ammunition. What? Well, there's no dice here. You've had enough on tick for a month already. Wait a minute. Please tell me how much we owe. Sigun, play him back his account. Right, sir. And sixpence half me. <laughs> Please, I promise I'd pay you back at the rate of a week. Sigun, how much is in English money? It's about. Sir, it's not enough, do you hear? As you can hear from this clip, they have no problem doing ethnic stereotyping mm-hmm. at all. No. Um, they, well, since... first off, it was a different era. And I don't, I hate when people apologize for it being a different era, but it was never, 
it was never really mean-spirited i don't I, they were as mean-spirited towards british uh, as anyone you know, yeah, yeah they, they so, made fun of the americans they made fun of mm -hmm. british they oh, made fun peter of... sellers would do hilarious hern, 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 hern. well yeah he would he would always <laughs> he would always have these announcers who would be coming in and saying this is one of the most exciting things that has ever happened right? <laughs> and you can see if if you've ever watched the movie dr strangelove um and you wonder wow oh, peter sellers does all these characters and people marvel at that. Oh, Peter Sellers did so many characters in Doctor Strangelove. Any given episode of The Goon Show, he's doing more characters. So as good as you think Doctor Strangelove is, and it is great, that was Peter Sellers at his at his normal idling speed. That was Peter Sellers <laughs> ramping it down. Yeah. yeah, seriously ramping it down. So like you can hear in this, Milligan does a lot of stuff uh, as well as surrealism. He loves playing with locations. The show is never in any one set place it is it doesn't have a, a it goes set all over the world place. almost every episode every and sometimes <laughs> within each episode sometimes it goes around the world several yeah all, times 100 percent around the world so right. you get to hear you get to hear them take on india north africa south america in the wild west they have a great time in the wild west and then again a lot of violence like dan said these are guys who came out of the war and they took the violence and they kind of came to grips with it by putting it in the surrealist landscape. Mm -hmm. And you can hear them working out problems with what they've been through. And it and some of the scripts you listen to and, and, you know, there's one – it's not even a catchphrase. It's almost like the, the, the motto of The Goon Show. And they end a lot of episodes with this. It's all in the mind, you know. <laughs> right. And this was something the Beatles ripped off for the Yellow Submarine movie because um, they use that same phrase. Um, well, the I, we're going to get into me crabbing about how much I have to hear the Beatles every day. But I, I do want to say that, that the only Beatles records that I genuinely like because they're not overplayed is their Christmas records. And over over time, those became, towards the end, the more acid and pot they took and smoked the crazier and more goon like their stuff became and the last couple christmas records by the beatles are really goon influenced you know my name look up the number right which includes several locations during the singing of the song and an obvious blue bottle reference and a and a, and a tavern called slaggards so yeah, so the Beatles very John Lennon in particular was very influenced. All right, that's by enough Milligan talk about yeah, we're done with the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Monty Python. I mean, John Cleese is such a fan that John Cleese actually did the announcing job for one of the um, later down the one years the revival things, revival yeah. shows. Yeah, he actually did. If you look at Monty, if you like Monty Python in any respect, and you look at the Goon Show, there is such a. I mean, it's a descendant of. The goon shows monty python they they say it often and early that the goons were a very big influence on them but it wasn't until uh life of brian that they managed to get uh spike milligan to get spike milligan <laughs> in a cameo in any of their stuff anyway he plays one of the beggars yeah musical wise like we've mentioned before the goon show has a lot of great music given that it was a comedy show and not only great music but if you listen to how they do the sound effects and how they do even the musical numbers is that the that the that the 
script calls for, uh, comedy numbers like I'm Walking Backwards for Christmas or the Ing Tai song or any of that stuff. It was good stuff. So good was it that they actually put out some records. There was a genre at that time called the Larky song. And that would be a song that's just a little lark, you know. So there would be all these silly songs, but the goons were doing surrealist larky stuff. They were doing really bizarre little songs. The thing to listen to as far as not just the music, but also themes that go throughout the show. Uh, the rhubarb theme, the lurgy theme. You'll hear these across several shows. I'm going to leave it as a homework assignment to you guys <laughs> to listen to some yeah. shows. As with every radio show, eventually the the specter of television loomed onto the goons. And in a very goon type of way, they came up with it. I don't know if they came up with the idea. I but, think someone else came up with the idea as I was reading about it. But, but they, they yeah. went with it. They loved it. They, they went with it. Yeah, because it was actually much easier on them. So what we're, what we're talking about is they came up with basically a puppet show where they made puppets of Eccles and Grip Pipe and um, Harry Seacombe and, yeah, Nettie's there, Blue Bottles, everyone's there as a puppet. And I think they took – I don't know if they re-recorded the audio. They did. They did, yeah, and they had there's to. There's no be, audience. I'll tell yeah. you why, because um, the – well, there's two reasons. One is because it's like doing an animated film. You – can't have improvisation you really can't do improvisation with an animated film you have to keep to a script at least you did in those days the the reason for that that you really had to keep it tight was because the puppets were designed in such a way that they had a little solenoid in their mouth and it was the soundtrack was operated by the voice and that's what causes the lips to open. And it's the same thing that, that Jerry and Sylvia Anderson later did with Stingray and Thunderbirds and all that sort of stuff. Uh, entirely separate development. It wasn't the same company at all. But uh, yeah, that's the reason that they had to keep to their script. And, and in some ways that was tough on them because they were guys who just liked to goof off in the studio. But in other ways, they just got to come in and record their stuff and leave and, and they're 15, 15 minute episodes. Fifteen minute episodes. And opening theme. And they're they're funny. They're, it's, they're it's, okay. They're okay. Is, they're not. They're definitely not the Goon Show, but they're a different iteration of the same themes and ideas. So, in another world, it would have been a great kid show. It would have been a fantastic kid show. Um, there were twenty six episodes made, and there are several full episodes on YouTube. Again, another homework assignment. Go on YouTube. Go and look up the Telegoons. Look, look yes. up Telegoons. Mm -hmm. You will and there. After the Goon shows wound down, they tried taking some of the stuff and moving it off onto different shows. A couple of the episodes wound up as standalone shows. I think 1968 was the the last of them. They did a reenactment of the Tale of Men's Shirt. And this was the one John Cleese did the announcement for. So they got them all back together uh, and they did a thing. And it was, it's really good because you get to see them goof off. They do a fair yeah. amount of just goofing and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they did 1972, the last goon show of all. And that was really the last goon show of all. Mm -hmm. um, it's really good. You should definitely watch it. It's on YouTube. You will find it. Mm -hmm. I think they did it for the 50th anniversary of the BBC, if I'm not mistaken. Could be. 
Um, uh, recently, they did a few lost scripts with Harry Seacombe's son. So it's called Goon Again, and it's Goon Again. it's uh, Andy Seacombe and one of the other. Oh, Lance Ellington, Ray Ellington's son. They they do a bunch, and there are also recreation groups doing it. You can look up on YouTube; you will find recreation groups doing it, and they're fine. They're great, but yeah, man, you, lightning you know, in a bottle. You cannot yeah. recreate lightning in a bottle. No, definitely not. It's very, very hard. Again, the Goon shows. You, uh, we are listing a bunch of the shows. You can listen to them. They are great. The ending of the Goons pretty much ended with their deaths. And Larry Stevens was the first to go. He died actually while the show was still going on. Mm-hmm. He died in 1959. He just had a brain hemorrhage. There's some crazy theories about why and when he died, but that was a big blow to Milligan because Stevens right. did do a lot of the writing stuff. Mm-hmm. Peter Sellers was the first of the big three to die. He mm-hmm. died in 1980. Harry Seacombe died next, mm-hmm. and Spike Milligan was pretty happy that he did. <laughs> well, in, in his, yes. well, he wasn't happy, it, it, but it, it, basically Milligan did not want Harry Seacombe to sing at his funeral because he didn't like his singing. That was the running joke. So Harry Seacombe died in 2001, and Spike Milligan lived until 2002, so he outlived Seacombe. But Seacombe had a recording done of a song that they played at Spike Milligan's funeral. So Seacombe, even though dead, did. Um, Spike Milligan also in the year 2000 was awarded the most influential comedian of the 20th century. And this is how important the guy is to English comedy. He was I was, considered... I was pretty torn up when the guy died. When I, I heard about his death, I was pretty torn up. The funny... The, the typical Spike Milligan, he insisted that on his tomb would be written the words, I told you I was ill. He really wanted that. It was one of his last wishes. He was it, And he was insistent on, on it. Yeah. Insistent. And the church where his gravestone is kind of was like, no, we don't want to do that. Finally, we don't want to have any of this silliness. Classic struggle against the... the yeah, Spike Milligan the to the squares. very end struggling against the, the, the institutions of normalcy. So in a kind of a cool twist, they let it on, but only in Irish. Yeah. I am not going to read the Irish. Too. Yeah, yeah, I don't... I don't read, speak Irish, so. But in the end of the day, Spike Milligan got his way. Spike got his wish. So the next uh, subject is Kenneth Williams. Kenneth Williams. Kenneth Williams, again, is a lovely English person who is raised as a working class guy. He was who's going to be um, who's going to be a, he was trained to be an engineer. He gets into the army at age eighteen. He joins the Engineer Corps. He's a sapper. Then he becomes more involved in the entertainment end of things. He gets out of the arm and he's like, uh, no, I want to be an entertainer. And he has aspirations to be a serious actor. He does repertoire theater. He does a lot of West End work. He is, in his head, he is destined to be in the theater. Right. Well, he was one of those working class intellectuals who read a lot, educated himself, never had much of a uh, formal education, but just went to the library and read and read and read and read. Wore that on his shoulder for his entire life. Oh, yes. So he took himself very seriously, but he had a gift for comedy, which which he didn't... he embraced, I guess, but he, he always he, wanted he to be a serious actor. He, yeah. he struggled yeah. with it. Well, he struggled with a lot of things, but we'll talk about that. So famously in 1954, he was in a in a place and time where 
A BBC producer saw him, had the inkling he could have been a great comedian. And so in 1954, he joins a, a group of actors who are going to perform on a radio show called Hancock's Half Hour. Which is a brilliant, brilliant show. A brilliant show with a history that degrades. Yes, it <laughs> rather, really does. And it's largely sadly. because Tony Hancock, the, the star of that show, was uh, even perhaps more mentally unhealthy than, than any of the comedians we've talked about so far. It, it is reported that Tony Hancock in the last years of the show started firing anyone funnier than him. Yeah. Which Williams Which was. Is, yeah. And definitely. then he started taking over the writing roles from the writers. Pretty much it was just him in a, in a studio recording stuff. Um, it was sad. Then when the show ended, he drank himself to death. Yeah. But it got it got Kenneth Williams exposed to comedy. Right. And it got him exposed to it in a way where he was playing it up. I mean, he actually started really showing off his chops as doing quick catchphrasey comedy, doing campy stuff, but he did not give up his dream of being a serious actor. In 1955, very famously, as he was doing Hancock's Half Hour, he worked with Orson Welles yeah. to do Moby Dick. And wouldn't you know it, Kenneth Williams found fault with Orson Welles. Yes, and I'm sure Orson found fault with Kenneth as well. Uh, Orson didn't like anybody that he couldn't that he couldn't, in some sense, seduce. If and, if he couldn't seduce you or bully you, right? He 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 didn't want anything to do with you. Yeah, uh, there was there, there was definitely a, a two forces of nature meeting each other. So, I I can't I couldn't see the two of them working together. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a camera on the wall recording oh, that fallout. Yeah, but basically, what it comes out is William says that Orson was changing the script too much. He was ruining the play. And so off he goes, storms out. And that pretty much cements Kenneth Williams as a comedian. Because after that point, there is not much serious acting going on. No. Quickly after, in fact, almost immediately after Tony Hancock sabotages his show, uh, Kenneth Horn starts up a radio show. And um, Williams is in there. Beyond Our Ken was the Beyond first one. Beyond Our Ken was the first one, yep. And then the sequel to that was Round the Horn. So we're talking about a 10-year span that Kenneth mm -hmm. Williams is on a great ensemble comedy radio show. Right. And it is here that he really hones in on his characterizations. He has a bunch of – if you listen to these shows, you'll hear him every week doing various characters. They repeat. They recur. Mm -hmm. And you can hear him just picking up on timing and he just – he's like, I'm a comedian now. Let's do it. And he takes that professionalism. To my mind, the character team up that he does uh, with you, Paddock, Julian and Sandy, they play not a couple per se. But well, they're they play, a gay couple. They're, they're a, gay a gay couple. couple. And, and in England, this was much more acceptable on the radio than here in Well, it's really strange that it was accepted because homosexuality was, was a crime in England at the time. And, and yet these two... Yes, as and yet these two very arch, very camp characters, and, and you've got a clip of them that's really funny. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, let's just listen to the clip. Yeah, let's go to the clip. You're going to like this. I was going to Cornwall for a few days' rest, and I wanted to take some reading matter with me. You know, there's nothing worse than being in loo with nothing to read. <laughs> so I popped into a bookshop in the King's Road. It was called Boner Books. 
Hello, anybody there? Oh, hello. I'm Julian, and this is my friend Sam. Oh, hello. Are you, um, are you looking for something between hardcovers or something to slip in your pocket? We have an enormous selection of livres de poches. That is your actual French for posh books. Yeah. <laughs> livres de poches. Yeah. How about a nice classic? Mm. We stock every Omi's edition. Mm. Would you be interested in Spencer's Fairy Queen? No, he's... <laughs> he's not interested in mine. Oh! Well, there's your Wilkie Collins, Pallone in white. <laughs> or oh, how about a nice Moroccan-bound Poe? That's nice. <laughs> that is nice. That is nice. Uh, including such masterpieces of the macabre as the Telltale Heartface, ah. Fall of Usher's Latty, and his masterpiece... Poe's Raven. Is he? <laughs> Never listen to gossip, ducky. We do all your poetry here. Long go, Miss Hiawatha. Comes nice in your quarto, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Look, I'm not too keen on poetry, except Shakespeare, of course. Oh, oh, wow. Well, we do our own edition of Shakespeare, don't we? Yeah. Mm. We've rewritten it ourselves in up-to-date Polari. Uh, Includes such things as Much Ado About Nanty, All's Boner That Ends Boner, Two Omies of Verona, and As They Like It. <laughs> Isn't that as you like it? Not really, but live and let live, I say. <laughs> so, in this clip, you're not only getting the Julian and Sandy experience, you're also getting some of the gay culture that was getting on the radio mm -hmm. called Polari. It came from, like, sideshows and theater and and gay slang and all sorts of things that all came together in, in a sort of slang. So you hear you hear a lot of that in there. How bona tavada your dolly old eek. Yeah. <laughs> Means yes. how nice how nice to see your beautiful face. So it's like cockney slang, but for a specific audience. A very specific audience, yeah. So. And amongst the other people you hear that you're on. Recently I read an article where they're trying to revive it because it has fallen totally out of use. Right. But it was such, well, but no, it was such a large dead, part of the culture. Yeah, that I mean, because you couldn't speak openly about being gay in Britain, but if you were speaking in Kent, Williams went on to do a whole bunch of other stuff. He's in reviews. He's he's still doing theater, but he's doing review theater. So he's working with young people like Peter Cook. Um, he's doing stuff with Sheila Hancock. Sheila Hancock is one of my favorites on Just a Minute. So uh, don't let me don't let me forget to talk about. I will it. not let you forget. That. Thank you. Now, as all this is happening, he is also working on a series of films that you've probably maybe heard called the Carry On Films. They are incomprehensible to Americans. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I've seen one of them. There's double entendre humor that you have to be absolutely steeped in British culture to understand. And in order to understand it, you have to be British. I've, I, I don't get it. You know, I watch them and it's just, it goes, 90% of it goes over my Well, head. not only do you not get it, but they did so many of them that Kenneth Williams also did not get it. He yeah, Kenneth Williams got really them. tired of doing them after he, a while, yeah. And they paid hardly anything. Right. He he was not happy with it. He, he railed against it. 
But the saving thing during this whole period is a show that he started doing in its second season called Just a Minute. Kenneth Williams gets a seat on this show, Just a Minute, which is it kind of a game show, but not really a game show. It's well, it's not a game show. It's what they call in England a panel show. And in America, they always have to have a game element in it. Like you introduced me recently to uh, Information, Please, the American show, which is just intellectuals being asked questions. And the the deal with that is, is that the public sends those in. And if they if the intellectuals get the question wrong, then the member of the public gets some money. So there's always a game show element to it. But in, on British stuff, on panel shows, it's just pure entertainment. There's a game element to it that there will be like four celebrities playing a game, but you know, they're awarded points and it really doesn't matter who wins. It's just an excuse to improvise is what. And the show is all improv. So the format of the show is basically you are given a topic and you must speak on that topic for 60 seconds without repetition of words, without hesitation, which I just did, and without deviation, which for Kenneth Williams was always a questionable And thing. it's also something that that's up, to gra- up for grabs what it actually means to deviate from the subject. Uh, you, either you, you're deviating from the subject or you're deviating from the truth or whatever the host Nicholas Parsons English English as we speak it yes whatever Nicholas Parsons needs to use in order to keep the show moving along so the show is hosted by Nicholas Parsons and when we say it is hosted by Nicholas Parsons the show started in 1968 and he is still hosting it today which is insane insane he's he's actually really good at hosting the show he's not he's not a great comedian he's not a great actor or performer or anything but he's always been very good at roping these people who are far more creative and funny than he is roping them in and keeping them going and keeping the general good mood and good spirits going he's an excellent host of the show and in the early days he wanted to be a panelist yeah he wanted he didn't want to be the straight guy he wanted to be the comic guy he did work with a lot of comedians in in the early days but he was always the second banana yeah he was always the second and he saw that as kind of a way to he became top banana in something much bigger than he thought but he had a really good way of dealing with kenneth williams because kenneth who is self-educated, they would give questions to him. They would give him a subject to speak on, and it would be something that he knew about, and therefore he could pontificate and do it quite well. The problem was that Kenneth was never the best uh, at following the rules of the game, so he would at some point hesitate or deviate a little bit or do something, and then he would lose the subject, and then he would go into a terrible sulk. I mean, like, if you're listening to these shows, it is noticeably... Yes. And that's another reason that Parsons was was wonderful, because he would he would bring it back around and make sure that he got the subject back later and, and so on. So. so we have a kind of a lengthy clip, but this is a really good clip, I think, from a retrospective show. Charles Brandreth and Nicholas Parsons are now talking about... Uh, Kenneth's Kenneth... last days and his place in Just a Minute. At the end of his life, I think Just a Minute was the one thing he really enjoyed doing. Exactly. My, my wife, Michelle, and I, we knew him 
well, and he used to come round for supper with us, and he felt that with his career that he'd painted himself, as he described, into a corner, that once he could do everything, and now he'd painted himself into a corner, that all he could do was appear on Parkinson and tell anecdotes, and his only creative outlet was to do just a minute. And he died no, absolutely uh, aged, I think, only about 62. Um, the, the, the verdict, the, uh, the coroner's verdict, was, a, was an open verdict. But Kenneth told me that he kept a sort of stash of pills uh, in case he ever became fed up. And he also told me that his father, you know, had committed suicide. I didn't know uh, that. And sometimes these things do seem to run in families. He just was fed up. <laughs> at the end. Um, he lived alone with his mother living in the flat next door and his one delight frankly was trolling down mm. Great Portland Street to come to be part of the family of just a minute. Absolutely. Where he was brilliant wasn't he? Absolutely. And he, he would take off. And, and Ian Messeter would think of a subject because he knew he wanted to show it was erudition and put it in specially for Kenneth. And so suddenly I'd say well Kenneth the next subject which is yours is Aphrodite. And he preened himself. He always sat in the... And he preened himself. Ready to go. Yes. And sometimes... <laughs> he'd start off after... And he'd suddenly pause. And he'd be challenged. And, of course, none of the others wanted this stuff. None of them knew anything about Aphrodite. <laughs> and they got it. And then, of course, he sulked. Uh -huh. And then I had to be a little bit of a psychologist and uh, coax him out of his sulking. No, no, you, you just ruined it for you. You got some wonderful story there. You've got to get a happy story there. No, no, you ruined it. And uh, so I had to be a sort of uh, get him back into the game. But he loved it when he could go off and show his... He was literally self-educated. He just went down to the library and read and read. He was amazing. He was an amazing character. Okay, so as you can hear, Williams's end was not pleasant. He was having he was having a great time on Just a Minute, even though he denied it. He was having fun. It was, I mean, he was living in these little flats with his mom close by. Yeah, his mom lived like the one flat over. Yeah. Yeah, and and this was the highlight of his week. He would walk over. And do the show, and when they were on the road, As one of know, his we... running gags was, "I've come all the way from Great Portland Street." When when he felt he was being badly treated on the show, he would say that. Yeah, I would say his health was declining physically. His mental health was never the best because he never came to terms with being gay. He never came to terms with being gay. He had a problem with his father for most of his life. His father's death was, as stories go, either very hard on him or he was he was a suspect in his father's death at one point. It I didn't a, know that. But... Yeah, his father died of an accidental poisoning. Mm. Um, he was trying to take cough syrup and instead got a toxic concoction. Kenneth did not travel outside the country because Scotland Yard would not give him a visa because oh he goodness. was a suspect. Yeah, that. it was... At the time, it was a thing. The more I look into it, the more it's kind of like, really? They, no. But yeah, it was a thing. So he had some real deep issues going on. And in 1988, he died of an accidental overdose like his dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you heard in that clip, um, it may not have been so accidental. It may have been accidental. Well, his diary entry was pretty depressing for that day. But So his diaries are one of the things that posthumously kind of brings Kenneth Williams' life a little bit more than it was maybe as he was living. His diaries get done up as readings, as plays. 
it is riveting stuff. I mean, because this man was going and during his life, he very, very rarely talked about what he wrote in his diaries. When his diaries came out, it was kind of like, oh, yeah. And then people it all came together as kind of a as kind of a thing. Let's move away from this, that that which is a sad and tragic story. Let's move back to just a minute, which is a wonderful and delightful show. It is it is a delightful show that was created by a delightful gentleman named Ian Messiter. Mm-hmm. Um, as he was riding on a bus one day, thinking about things to do, he harkened back to his school days where his teachers would give him a fair amount of stick for not paying attention and would make him recite things in a very well, short they would, time. What so, the teacher would do was make him recount what they had just been talking about. And he had to do it without hesitating or deviating, I think it was. Or, and thus the game was, was created. Loosely based on this horrible experience of... of being in school (laughs) yeah now there was a game show before this that they had worked on called one minute please uh, 51 through 57 which went nowhere it died the pilot for just a minute what we know now is just a minute was in 1967 the original chairman was supposed to be jimmy edwards uh, but he was not available due to golfing dates (laughs) uh he just he was like nope i got golf sorry and so they roped in one of the panelists, Nicholas Parson, to do the hosting chores. And he reluctantly did it. He didn't want to do it, but he did it. And the BBC executive, so the original guests were Clement Freud, Derek Nimmo, Beryl Reed, and Wilma Ewart. Okay. Parsons was supposed to be in that crew, but he wasn't. He did the hosting job. The BBC executives who heard the show didn't like it. Except they really dug Nicholas Parsons as the MC, as the as the host, because he was able to wrangle these people together. Exactly, and that's that was his skill. He didn't know he had that skill. He he for his entire career he thought he had other great skills. He thought he was a comedian. He, he but all the other skills he had came to bear. Oh yeah, in a way he did not know. It's still running, folks. Fifty it's years still it's going. Still fifty going. years. It's still a it's still a great format. It's a great uh, platform for new comedians. They like to get new people on pretty much every season. Nicholas goes around uh, the Edinburgh Festival. I think that, it is. That wasn't always just... the case, though. So one thing that's the same is Chopin's Minute Waltz, mm-hmm. which is not really a minute. It's supposed to be a minuet, well, a tiny waltz. But anyway, so that music comes on. Nicholas Parson does the announcing. For the first couple of years, it was a set group of people. It was yes. Clement Freud, Derek Nemo, Kenneth Williams after the second season, and who am I forgetting? Peter, Peter Jones. Jones. Peter Don't Jones. forget yeah. Peter Jones. Can't forget is... Peter Jones. So these guys, for the first couple of years, they were the guys. And when one or two fell out, they would bring someone in. Well, generally, the format the format was they would have three out of those four for the majority of the episodes with a guest. And very often, the guest was Amy McDonald, who was sort of the dingbat sexy girl. I character. don't know what they were thinking with that. Uh, it's she's she's amusing. Uh, it's it's pretty condescending to her. But after a while, they brought in and and I'm damn it, I'm going to talk about Sheila Hancock because they brought in Sheila Hancock, who was she comes in pretty early, and she was Kenneth Williams' friend. Hetch had worked with Kenneth Williams, so she knew his idiosyncrasies. And the thing I love about her is she's absolutely fierce. Uh, there are these three men and it's like this boys club and she did not take any guff off of them. Uh, you know, she would always say, oh, I'm going to 
get you for that challenge. She and she's really funny and she's she's wonderful and she's still around and she's still a delight and I'm madly in love with that woman. So even in the days when it when the BBC was not gender balanced at all, she was she was in there and doing that with the with the comedy and really quite well. So and she paves the way for some very strong female participants. Oh, there's a lot of good women who've been on there. Um, uh, Maureen Lipman, uh, just tons of women who've been on the show that are good. The program starts in 67. Freud and Nimmo, they're, they're, they're there for a long time. Williams comes in on the second season. Jones comes in in 71. Like you said, it's that format up until 1988. I do have to mention that Peter Jones, up until recently, Peter Jones was my favorite bad player of the game. Peter Jones is really funny, very dry. He's always saying, well, what a particularly boring subject to be given. He's really, really funny. He never quite understands the rules. He's always getting things wrong. And and there's another guy who came in later who I think is an even better bad player at the game, and that's Graham Norton who Graham Norton can be given a subject that he knows absolutely nothing about, and he will just stretch it out and waffle on. And and you've got a clip with Graham Norton on it, and I, I'm looking we, we'll, forward to we'll this. We'll go cause... to that clip. We're going to go to that clip. This is the famous Wolverhampton in November clip. And this clip I want you guys to listen to, it highlights most of the rules. I think everything's in there. And yeah, it, it gets to the rules. It gets to the banter. It gets to Nicholas Parson being dumped on for being old, mm-hmm. um, which is a regular occurrence nowadays. That No, it was a regular occurrence for a long time, but I think now people walk around it because they feel like he could drop dead at any moment because he's in his 90s now. Nobody makes fun of a 90-year-old man for being old. It's funny if you make fun of a 50-year-old man, but not 90. Pa- Paul Merton still does. Paul Merton does a little, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so let's go to the clip. Graham, I'd like you to begin the next round. The subject is Wolverhampton in November. (laughs) 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 Right. I don't think it's a song, but uh, uh, I've been to Wolverhampton in November because I've done pantomime up there. And uh, it's quite a nice place, Wolverhampton, actually. Do you want to talk for 60 seconds about it? (laughs) No, I'd rather you did, and I judged. Wolverhampton, November, 60 seconds, Graham, starting now. Wolverhampton in November, I imagine, is quite similar to Wolverhampton in any other month of the year. Even the football team are called Wanderers because they don't want to be there. Wolverhampton Grey nondescript hole somewhere in Britain. I couldn't find it on a map. Jason, Jason, Jason. Well, I'm just going to interrupt because they, they were City of Culture uh, about 12 years ago, yes, so it seems a bit harsh. Yeah. I don't I've know if never that's been there, I don't know. Deviation. Yeah. Yeah, we just say it's a grey hole not, when yeah. it's not. No, it's not it's, fair. it's a lovely place. Yes. Yeah. And they were wonderful. You said it was quite nice. <laughs> I said, yes, in fairness, yes. I, I said in November. I was quite nice. And there were lovely audiences at the Grand Theatre. There, they lovely, Beautiful warm, theater. generous yeah. people in Wolverhampton. Yeah. Wolverhampton. It's all right for you, Jason. You've got uh, Wolverhampton in the in the. Uh, you've got. Uh, you've got regular, regular listeners may be wondering why we're coming from Johannesburg. <laughs> Thirty-five seconds from Wolverhampton. 
And it's, uh, I think this is worse than the grey hole. Do we think... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's cheering them up. No. <laughs> Getting laughs. <laughs> I don't usually get laughs. I don't do funny material. <laughs> uh, right. Showing off my skills as a impersonator. <laughs> Which were not appreciated. <laughs> Uh, 35 seconds, uh, Jason, with you. Wolverhampton in November, starting now. Wolverhampton in November is like Wolverhampton any other time of the year, as Graham mentioned. I would definitely love to see uh, Norton. Uh, ah! Repetition of Graham's opening conceit. <laughs> <laughs> but he can do he that. He can do that, though. Game. I'm sure oh, yeah. I've he heard that before. other people's yeah. material. It's true. This is the only context in which that's possible. <laughs> yeah, but, but what's your challenge, then? I'm withdrawing it. I did say, as, no, as Graham said in the, at the beginning... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think Jason needs another point, though, yeah. for that, because it was He's a wrong another point. Yeah. All right. But you didn't pick him up on the air. Yeah. Uh, 26 seconds for you, Jason, still to continue. Wolverhampton in November, starting now. I'm definitely looking forward to... <laughs> Hesitation. Was there? There was a hesitation. Yeah, I, I must be missing it. Sorry. Yes, 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 Jason, this is the last okay. time I'm going to do I'm, it. I'm sorry. Where, I'm, just I'm tell not me where it is and I won't do it. I promise. The last time I'm going to do this. So you're, you say your time starts now, and then I've got to start before you but, finish the word now. No, no. <laughs> that's that's safe, no, no safest. As I say, <laughs> okay. and your time starts, you Don't. take your breath, okay. and I say, now go. Okay, right. No, no, right. Off. 25 <laughs> seconds, Wolverhampton in November, and your time starts now. Wolverhampton in November. What was your challenge? Deviation. Why? <laughs> he didn't hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> the first time he had to hesitate. Give Paul a bonus point. We love that interruption. Right. <laughs> Jason, you've still got the subject. Wolverhampton. <laughs> Wolverhampton in November. <laughs> 23 seconds starting 23 seconds. now. Wolverhampton in November. I'm certainly looking forward to Graham Norton on tour. Uh, Sue Challenge. Repetition of Graham. Yes, yeah, you mentioned Graham before. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 I meant so, the TV version. No, no, no. <laughs> Sue, you've got him with a correct challenge in 19 seconds. You tell us something about Wolverhampton in November starting now. Remember when Anne Robinson attacked the Welsh? That same fate is coming for Graham Norton. You <laughs> I'll describe Wolverhampton as a grey hole. Even now, the West uh, Midlanders... challenge. I can't believe you're perpetuating that myth. <laughs> this is where it starts. Wolverhampton's lovely. <laughs> I recently bought a house there. So what's your challenge when the rules are just a minute? You could well, just deviation, deviation from reality. Wolverhampton is a gorgeous place. <laughs> it won Britain in bloom last year. It wasn't. That was Cheltenham. <laughs> Well, the man who loves flowers. Somebody's yes. got to defend Wolverhampton from Graham, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> right now. No, I think he's right. He, you can't denigrate Wolverhampton. No. Yes, Sue. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty harsh what you said. Yeah. Did you want a grey hole? Yeah. That's not right, Sue. <laughs> no. I know. House it's prices in... will tumble now. And I know <laughs> you have a mansion there. Yes, don't I you? do. I do. You yes. Dudley. Yeah. I seem to remember. So, Graham, yeah. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Thank right? You. So, okay. you have the subject. <laughs> 11 seconds available. Wolverhampton <laughs> in November, starting now. Wolverhampton, a charming market town. <laughs> Famous.
famous for its cheese and local produce. I love it there. Graham challenged. You challenged yourself, Graham. Did I? Yes. <laughs> I'm challenging. You're thinking of Ludlow. <laughs> so, Graham, uh, what was your challenge? Ooh, I, I, I just wanted to stop and say how well I was doing. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I felt, you know, come on. Well, all right, I, just... I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say you've got a correct challenge. Yeah. You yeah. get a point for that. <laughs> and you've got three seconds, Wolverhampton in November, starting now. Wolverhampton in November, October, December, January, February, March. <laughs> Yeah, I think you hear everything in there. You hear Graham Norton doing what I love, which is just waffling on about Wolverhampton in November. Yeah, it's just stretching it out. Norton does this a lot. The couple others that do it, well, they will come back after getting it taken away. They'll take it back and then totally reverse what they just said. Graham Norton, Julian Clary, a bunch of these guys, they definitely bring back the Kenneth Williams flair. You know, they play the game and they play it to the top. And it is funny as hell. Then you get Paul Merton, who you heard in that clip, who plays it more straight. So even amongst themselves, as the good, as they're playing, the good players. Yeah, Paul Merton was for the longest time. Um, he's he's one of the um, people who came in mid midway along the run. I'll he say. came in. He came in in '88, right after Kenneth Williams' death. Right after Kenneth Williams' death. And he, so the, the the story with um, Paul Merton was he was a comedian. And he was he would sit in his little bedsit apartments and listen to the show. He was like a fanboy of the show. He called them and to said, say, I want hey, to be on the show. I need to do that. The BBC held that once Kenneth Williams was gone, the show was over. There was a very real moment where that show could have ended in eighty eight. Because they thought Kenneth Williams was the show. And without him, no show. Right. And they fought for the show and then Paul Merton called up and said, I, I can do this. Put me in, coach. So he went from being a fanboy to being on the show. And when you hear his first couple of shows, you can hear it in his voice. And then he just takes off. And he's been on ever since. And he was he was really, really competitive and also really good at challenging other players in funny ways. Like you heard in that clip, he challenges somebody for deviation because he didn't hesitate. Yeah, he hesitated, he hesitated, he mm -hmm. didn't hesitate, that's a mm -hmm. deviation. Right. Oh, and he was very competitive and and on for many years, the first few years of his run, like maybe the first eight or nine years, every time he was on, he won. He just, he dominated the show. And then I think more recently in the last few years, he's dropped back and said, you know what? I don't necessarily want this to be the Paul Merton show every time. He has a lot of other things that he does, and he always had fun with the show, and nobody really felt bad that he won all the time. But he started dropping back, and he's letting other people talk now, and he's challenging them in funny ways so that they'll get a point because he does a, the wrong thing. It took him a few years to figure it out. He went from being very funny to being still very funny, but he's figured out how to be more generous. He is the heir apparent to the hosting ship. I I. I don't when know. Nicholas Parson, well, we'll when Nicholas Parson goes, they're not going to let the show die. I don't know if he wants to host the show because you don't get to be as funny. I think he does. Well, I think we'll that's why out. he's been pulling his punches in well, the last we'll, couple. Well, we'll and see. 
he and Parsons have done a bunch of retrospective shows and they've done some live mm-hmm. bits together. And you can almost hear it. It is like the Padawan and the the master. It mm-hmm. is, you know, he oh, is yeah, Padawan. Yeah. And they're they're it, close friends, even despite their age difference. And the show in its in its years has had some amazing people on Tim Rice. Has been mm-hmm. on a bunch. Stephen Fry, notably, Stephen has been Fry's on, been on a, a whole bunch. lot. Barry Cryer has been on. Joe Brand. Once again, I'm coming back to the women. Who's she? Is hilarious. She's a dead. She's a deadpan comic along the lines of kind of a Phyllis Diller, kind of a British Phyllis mm, Diller kind yeah, of character. Yeah, Not as yeah, wild, but, but more yeah. a deadpan and With more talent. like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's Phyllis Diller with talent. Let's right, put it straight. Enough, yeah. Ross Noble, as you mentioned, before, Ross Noble is one of the great surrealist like yeah. improvisers riffing together are just insane after a while once the show started becoming more than what it was after 88 i would say they started doing the show in different places rather than just being recorded in the same place all the time they took they it on started, the road they took it on the road the edinburgh fringe festival has notably been not only amazing venue for them to play and sometimes they're playing in a tent in the open during a rainstorm and they'll get crowds, like I've seen video of it. They have crowds, mm-hmm. as far as the eye can see, listening. But because they played the Fringe so much, they got a bunch of comics and performers like Ross Noble, who were at the Fringe, who do the Fringe every year. And the quality of comedy just right through the roof. It, it, it was amazing. Well, it's, it's a mixed bag, but I'll, I'll say this. Nicholas Parsons took over kind of an executive producer role. In that he's always uh, looking for new funny people to be on the show. And he does a show at the Edinburgh Fringe. He does like a talk show at the Fringe. And consequently, he's always trying to draw in new talent to just a minute. And it's kept it lively and it's kept it alive all these years. And even though the host is in his 90s, I want to say that he's in his 90s. He's been doing it for 50 years. 50 years. Straight years. But he's still keeps it going and he understands now i think that he has to keep it fresh he has to keep new talent coming in in order for the show just not to become and i think that was one of the unfortunate side effects of kenneth williams dying Mm -hmm. was when the bbc did say well he's gone that's the end of the show because he was so much part of the show and parsons fought like mad to keep it going and i think at that point he was like no one's ever going to dominate this show again it will never be a person show it is the show oh yeah yeah it, he made it more of an ensemble thing uh, well uh, kenneth williams was such an audience favorite audiences he had a real charisma and people liked him even though he was a grouch and a complainer and a whiner and a petulant little baby you know that's not the b word i would use but yes yeah <laughs> He was a little baby a lot of the time. He would just have these tantrums on the air, but that they were always funny. And he had his he had his fan base there all the time. In fact, the other contestants would all, often complain, "Oh, look, they're they're citing for you how how unusual that Kenneth should bring along his voting public." As your homework assignment, ladies and gentlemen, you have fifty years of just a minute to listen to. You have ten seasons of the Goon Show. And you have numerous years of Kenneth Williams to plow through with Great Plum. We have listed everything in our show notes. If you look around on the web, you will find things like there are for both Just a Minute and The Goon Shows 24-7 audio streams that play nothing but those two shows. Just a Minute, we have the 1960s and 70s up on archive.org. 
Other than that, it's hit or miss because the BBC still owns the rights to the newer shows, so you can't really put them up. I just wanted to thank you for something, Tom, because you kept me sane uh, a number of years ago. Way way back when I was working a really crummy job in a warehouse, you gave me two MP3 CDs of Just a Minute, and it was like as much of the full run as you could get at that time. And I would just listen to like eight hours of just a minute every day at work. So this, this thing is like ingrained in my head, but <laughs> it helped it. You were one of my good customers. For oh my yeah. OTR stuff. Just, oh yeah. That would, that one in particular, I had a little, uh, a CD player that played MP3s. You had the Sonic blue, the, the MP3 CD player. Yeah. I had the same one. Yeah. I just would sit there at work and turn it on and listen. I remember to that. one day when you called me up and you're like, Tom, I lost the discs. <laughs> I was kind of in a panic because it was how I kept saying back in it those days. It took me about a week or two to get the discs to you. I felt bad because I couldn't get because I knew how much they meant to you. And I was like, oh, my God, he's going to jump. He's, he's, <laughs> crash no, card, get him in the I wasn't going to jump or anything, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you, Tom. No problem. I'm, my Johnny Appleseed gig for OTR is still alive. Yes, right. In the meantime, if you are done listening to all your goon shows, Kenneth Williams, and Just a Minute, you can listen to daily doses of all that and more on the daily podcast uh, page, where every day, if you subscribe, you can the get the daily podcast page of what, Tom? You neglected 20, to mention 21 different podcasts, all with different OTRs. From, so you got, from what oh, website would that be, Tom? You're oh, neglecting, be, you're, yeah, neglect, I'm, you're hiding I'm, your light I'm, under a bushel here, Tom. I am certainly doing that. TomWSMF.com. You will find a link to it from that page. It's, it's, WSMF podcasts, and there's 20-something of it uh, broken down by genre of old-time radio show. There is one just for British stuff. There is one for comedies. Or boil, there's blah, one blah, blah. just for Orson. There is one O oh, for Orson and the artwork for that and many of my podcasts uh, by Mr. Dan here. Thank you. Who does amazing artwork. And you can uh, who steals, us. I steal amazing artwork is what I do. Well, yeah. To, to create is to steal. Yeah. Man right. Uh, yeah, wherever the quote goes um, our podcast here you can find it ourshowofshows.com you can reach us on emails your email is dan at ourshowofshows.com and I am tom at ourshowofshows.com we made it real easy for ourselves and for you we're on twitter at ourshowofshows.com or ourshowofshows.com and we're also on Facebook. Yes, we are on Facebook. I uh, bit the bullet and went back. I know you're not on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I yeah. only went back on for. I'm, I'm glad you're on Facebook understand. for the show because yeah. I'm not doing it. So I'd like to say hello to the 50 listen, the 50 fans of the show who have joined. If you're on Facebook, come look up our show of shows on Facebook. We'll make a link to it next time. Not to, well maybe we'll put it in this time. All right. Well let's let's wrap it up. I'm Dan Howland and I'm one of the biggest cults in radio. Well, this is fantastic. You're really creeping up, darling. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. You're level now with Nicholas Parson. Isn't that fantastic? Yes. So both of you are mouse behind Clement. <laughs> Next one is... Oh, no, that's the end, isn't it? Oh, this is the end we can't have any more. No, so that's the end, I'm afraid. Oh, wait a minute. And we'll be back... A bit. So,
What's that? Deviation is called just a minute, not wait a minute. Oh, is it? <laughs> The chairman of Just a Minute this week was Kenneth Williams. The programme was devised by Ian Messiter and produced by David Hatch. <laughs>